Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is breaking down the bottom of the NBA. So we did this last year toward the end of the season where we broke down the three teams who sat at the bottom of each conference. This time we're expanding it to talking about the bottom five teams in the NBA of each conference. And we're not going to do this one alone. We have some first-time guests here on the Hoop Talk podcast. So please welcome Chris and Rob from the All Hustle No Look podcast. How's it going? Um, going good, well. good. I'll let my guy, I'll let my guy, the host of the podcast, you know, kick us off and, and I'll put my two cents before we get, we get started for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's the All, All Hustle No Look podcast every morning at 8 a.m. Just a couple guys similar to you, love basketball, love talking basketball, but a little bit above just the barbershop talk. You know, you always want to incorporate some stats, some fun numbers, um, and some fundamentals into the game. So we're, we're talking, we have a perfect mix of being like a barbershop kind of conversation, but we're, we're have supporting facts that kind of carry on what we're saying. Uh, but yeah, there's three of us normally, Kev, Chris, and uh, myself, Rob, but Kev wasn't able to join today. And he, a little bit too much on on one pod, but we're here. <laughs> we're here. We're here. Chris, I don't know. What are you up to? Yeah, man. I'm I'm glad to be here. Uh, ironically, what is this? The second time we're appearing on a guest podcast, so this is always fun. Um, it's appreciated as well. Um, off off top, want to say that as well. And yeah, hopefully we give the people a proper episode that they're gonna enjoy. So let's get it. Yes, sir. Yeah, we actually appeared on the All Hustle No Look podcast not too long ago, so it's great to have these guys back on. Um, Jalen, we have a lot to talk about with these 10 teams, so let's get right into it. Yeah, man. Had to get in a research bag last night to be able to put this rundown together because when you talk about the bottom five teams in either conference, they're the teams that are discussed the least, have probably the least interesting storylines surrounding them at the moment, and you could argue also probably have the least to play for this late in the year, even with the playing tournament being incorporated. So we like to do this first off. The reason why we even like doing this, breaking down the bottom every year in the first place is not only because of those lack of storylines that are brought up in national media, but also because there's certain things about these teams that could have long-term implications heading into next season that are important to get ahead of um, while they're still fresh. So we're going to start with the New York Knicks, right? You want to talk about a team filled with controversy. This is an easy way to get the ball rolling early. Talking about the Knicks who are in 11th place right now. And the big talk around the Knicks is the recent play of second year forward Obi Toppin and the dynamic he has with Julius Randle. Now, we have to remember, Julius Randle is the first New York Knicks all-star since Christoph Porzingis did it back in 2017-2018. Yet, it seems like Julius is on the way out, both kind of by his own fruition and by the fans, so to speak. Now, I'm going to expand on this by a little bit by reading something um, from the New York Post real quick to kind of further emphasize this, and I want to get you guys' thoughts on New York's situation. Yeah. It says, MSG Network's Alan Hahn and Wally Zerbiak took exception on the post-game show. This is talking about the New York Knicks coming off of a big victory over my Chicago Bulls earlier in the week. Um, uh, Zerbiak said... Or, excuse me, Han said, you just wish Julius would join the party 
that he would enjoy it too, Han said. He walks off the court and throws the ball away. Celebrate with your team. Julius Randle, essentially, after the Bulls' victory, quite literally caught the ball, chucked it, and dipped straight to the locker room. Zerbiak kind of added on by talking about Randle's dynamic with Obi Toppin, saying, when Randle went out of the lineup, this was last week when he went down with a quad injury, it gave Obi Toppin the opportunity to get the start. You see how much his teammates are picking his play up and the energy he's playing with. The crowd loves him. They want to see him out on the court. His team is playing with a lot of joy. It's about playing with joy and picking up your teammates. Obviously a dig at Randall and his lack of interest um, in team basketball right now. Something else that I want to note about this New York Post article specifically is the title and the way it's framed. The title itself is Julius Julius Randall could be forcing his way off the Knicks in a James Harden type of way, which I also think is a really interesting way to look at this dynamic between second year forward Obi Toppin and Julius Randle. So, Ryan, I want to start with you, man, especially being the uh, the residential Knicks fan on the podcast, despite not living at New York by any means necessary. I want to get your thoughts on this because obviously Julius Randle is the linchpin for this team staying as is or deciding to kind of blow things up and go a younger direction especially with the fact that Obi Toppin would be his quote-unquote predecessor in this regard. So what are your thoughts on Julius Randle wanting out and what the Knicks should do about the idea of moving on without him, leaning on a guy like Obi Toppin and going into free agency with a little bit of money on him? So we've heard about these trade rumors for the past month and a half or so, um, and it was reported yesterday that he actually put in the trade request to be traded this offseason from the New York, from the uh, New York Knicks. So that part I knew was coming. I'm just not expecting this team to really make a lot of moves in free agency now. Um, Obi Toppin and RJ Barrett, I think, are going to be the core of this younger uh, group of guys that I think they should build around. I think the other thing, if they try to make a move at free agency, see if you can get Damian Lillard. I think that's the big thing. That would be huge if they could pull that one off. It, I think it would be bigger, and it would make sense if they get Zion Williamson from New Orleans. I've heard a lot of rumors that that could possibly be happening. I don't know what the likelihood is of that happening because we don't know whether or not if Zion is hurt and we don't know if he's a hundred percent with the Pelicans. We don't know if he's staying with the Pelicans. I don't really know what's going on there. So I think Julius is a good player, but a lot of Knicks fans seem to want him to go. And I think he's kind of uh, reciprocating that energy and he just doesn't want to be there anymore. And hopefully he can find a better team that, that he fits on. So, fellas, as this being you guys' first time on the podcast, this is the representation of what I mean when I say that that Ryan is our residential Knicks fan, bringing up guys like Zion Williamson and Damian Lillard on the trade block, going into a situation where they're trying to get off of a disgruntled, quote-unquote, star in Julius Randle. This is this is exactly what I mean. I mean, they're not going to rebuild Jalen. I already know that's not going to happen. Well, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll have to see how they go about things. Uh, Rob, I want to start with you in this regard. This is definitely a down season for Julius Randle, especially in comparison to last year, right? A lot of people already thought that it was pretty fluky that he made the all-star team last year. And a lot of people came into this year saying that Julius shooting over 40% from three was completely unrealistic. 
And that has obviously come to fruition in the fact that he's dropped all the way to 30.5%, which is freaking terrible. <laughs> so with that being the case, I think one of the questions that I want to ask is like, what does one expect from a Julius Randle if you were to acquire him via trade? Like what kind of team, you, you can either name a specific team or you can name like a team like identity, so to speak, that you feel Julius Randle even would fit in when you're looking for like trade suitors. Like what do you, what would you, what would you be looking for? So I think first and foremost, we kind of have to address the type of player that Julius Randle is, right? Came in from um, Kentucky and, is known to just be a rebounder. He's grown his game a lot. He's able to now create, play, make, and score semi-efficiently. And even, as we said last year, shot 40% from deep. He pretty much cemented himself as an all-star. And whether people believed it or not is up to them, but he deserved to be an all-star that season. Now, with that being said, I think one of the problems with Julius is that he now has, he's gotten, he's wet his fingers with being that guy, being a guy, right? And... It obviously hasn't worked out in New York. And I think what needs to happen now is he needs to go to a situation where he doesn't have that much responsibility in terms of playmaking, right? Simplify Mm -hmm. his role. Go out there, rebound, do some secondary playmaking, some secondary shot creation. But really and truly, you need a guard with Julius to maximize his potential. Not even potential, to maximize his output. Um, And I'll be honest, there's a lot of teams in the NBA that can use a forward, especially a forward that has shown the ability to be able to stretch the floor can dribble. He could do basically anything on the court and defense might be a little suspect, but I'm not saying he's a bad defender by any means, right? But there's a lot of teams like um, Chicago would definitely warrant a guy like him. Um, And again, I'm I'm, I'm shooting teams out there. We don't know what the trade scenario would look like, but his play style, when it's done right, when he's with the right pieces, I feel like is something that you would almost pay a max contract for. Right. Um, that may be a little bit wild to some people, but I just feel like Julius, when he's paired with the right people, can be a legitimate starter on like a championship team. Maybe not your best or second player, but he could definitely be your third player. And maybe that's taking too much from last season, but I don't think that you shoot 40% from the entire season when you call it a fluke. I don't think you average 24 and 11 and you're calling it a fluke. Right? Tag, like, I've seen tag, fluke seasons and those in. aren't it. Tag, Tag me in, tag me in. Tag me in. <laughs> you, know, you know those, um, you know when you used to watch uh, the WWE and, and you would have your, your mans out there in the ring and you'd always see like the guy hyped. Even when you play the video games, he's hyped like, yo, tag, tag, yo. Listen, this is why, you know, like there's difference of opinions. Because let me tell you this, right? Me and him are on the same podcast. And if we were on my podcast, our podcast, it would it would be some... Some some explicitives and telling them. Oh, let stop. it fly, let it fly. We with telling it. them, telling them, yo, listen to me, stop it, stop it, stop. What do you mean, Julius Randle is a, is a is a championship player? What do you mean? Listen to me, Julius is shit. <laughs> what? And that's just that's the that's the bottom line. Like that is the bottom line. He had a year, and and this this is the thing. Like we can't the same way you don't want to over extrapolate. You know, the good, you also don't want to over extrapolate the bad. But what I'm saying is we want to look at what is consistent into what this man is, right? And the consistent form of Julius Randle is a bad shot taker, a poor shot maker, a player that doesn't defend his position well, a player that can't defend up or down. He can't defend a bigger player. He can't defend a smaller player. He's just a bad defender. Yeah, he may not 
he may not like people may not headhunt him out there, but he's not bringing any positives to the table either. And if you're not bringing any positives on defense, you're a bad defender in my eyes. No way. He he takes long twos as his diet of shots. We understand now what long twos are. It's garbage. It's garbage offense. We don't need that. The one year he shot 40% from deep, that's why it looks so good. But what was he every other year of his entire career? What was he at college? What was he when, when he was on the Lakers? What was he in New Orleans? What was he now after that one year on the Knicks? And yes, I'm happy for him. He parlayed that into a big contract. But my thing is with Julius is what you cannot do is you wanted the good when you were good. When you were shooting well and your game was flowing and the Knicks were on the rise. That's, that was, they were singing MVP out in the garden. Everything was great, right? Now you're playing like shit and now you don't want to hear about it. He's to also me, in you the can't, waistline of point guards, though. Like, come but you, on, you, man, cannot, but... you cannot have it both ways. You cannot have it both ways. I don't want to hear anything about they don't have a point guard or anything like that. Everything that the Knicks are right now, they were last year when you were playing well. I don't deny and, that. You, Someone can't tell me a change. So the only change is you were a facade. <laughs> and now we're telling you about it and you don't want to hear it. So the question is, where where can we see Julius Randle be traded to? It'll be a situation like Sabonis. He'll go to somewhere like the Kings or one of yeah. these run-of-the-mill teams that aren't going anywhere anytime soon. And that's where you're going to end up being traded to because no team that has any type of will to win or want to to win is going to accept you. They're not. They're not. Honestly, they're not. No team that has true playoff aspirations. Like, you're talking about Chicago. Don't do that. They they, they, they switched off of that type of time now. You know what I'm saying? Where what What is Julius helping them do? DeMar plays the four. I know he started as a shooting guard, but he plays the four. So, you know what I'm saying? So, the only thing that I can see Julius doing is is as a plus is playmaking from his position. But a team like Chicago, they have DeMar, right? So, no, and, and even the playmaking, his his turnovers are like three, four a game, man. This this guy sucks. He does. He like, I'm suck, sorry. I, he he sucks, doesn't like, suck, man. I just think it's a situation where... Yeah, I, I think it's a situation where you had a player, he had a breakout season, things kind of adjusted. The league adjusted, right? They're playing him differently. Defense, seeing a lot of different defenses. We've seen how he got exposed in the playoffs. I'll give you that. Listen, listen. The, the type of way, and I don't want to take over my guy's podcast, but let me just say this. The fact that the Knicks went ahead and paid this man after we saw the, the performance that he put against the Atlanta Hawks. Atlanta Hawks, he was getting defended by, by, by Gallinari. Gallinari was the man defending him, right? And he literally put forth one of the worst, if not the worst, performances I've ever seen in the playoffs and that's not just eye test look at the numbers he shot 31 percent from the floor (laughs) from the floor this is your this is your power forward you see what i'm saying like no 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 this man after he did that and then you come into this season and now you're doing this again come on man come on come on yeah i have a beef with julius so i'm not trying to (laughs) Maz hyped me up on that. He called Julius a championship winning player, and it ticked me off, honestly. Because I, 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 even last year in the midst of his his plus performer, like when he was All Star, I was hesitant to put him on the All Star team because I'm. I always said I know what Julius is, man, but I gave it to him because I said, yeah, you're playing well, so fear. But now he reverted back, so now you see my true colors and how I truly felt about him come out again. That's all this is. 
Rob, I'm, I'm interested. I'm, I'm interested in the banter because Julius Red, I, I, I figured he would garner a little bit of attention, but I, I see that there's a little bit more behind this than that. I want to get your thoughts before I add a little bit of my own two cents. So I'll be honest. Like, I, obviously, you could tell he has a bad taste of Julius Mannings in his mouth. I understand that, but my thing is this: we have to understand the, the context. He, the league adjusted. He, sh- he got exposed in the playoffs. New York had no decision but to play. You're not going to pay the best player on your team. And what are you going to do? Go, go back to relevancy? Like, I, like they were, that wasn't a discussion. They were going to pay him. Numbers aside, they would have to pay him. Now, with that being said, like, I know when a player is doing too much, right? I'm not saying that Julius Randle is going to be a Hall of Famer. But there's a lot of guys that can play a key role on championship teams and not necessarily have to do much. The problem with Julius Randle is he's doing too much. He's responsible for too much, right? He has to go out there and he's getting played. And yes, his game isn't the greatest game. He does take a lot of along to he, he's not the great prototypical four but his game is still effective when he doesn't have to do too much remove some of the responsibility off of his plate pair him with somebody that is a semi-decent point guard of all the 30 teams in the nba why all of a sudden the knicks can't pick up a semi-decent point guard he's out Good there point. doing too much and i can't blame him because every night he's going out there he's looking around and he's saying i'm playing with bumps He's playing with bums, and he has to go out there and do a lot, and defenses are not giving him the time of day. They're going to play him just the same as all Atlanta played him in the playoffs, and it's, it, it looks bad. Don't get me wrong. But I guarantee you there's a lot of other players that we can name that if they were in similar situations, they'd be doing worse. And I'm going to give Julius his five because I don't think he shoot 40% from deep, and it'd be a fluke. And I know that you're a good player because even though you may not have been that player last year for the entire entirety of your career, I have seen you put up above average numbers in others in other seasons he, he's always been a perennial 10 20 and 10 guy despite the defense right the three-point shooter might not have been there but he's always been a productive player so maybe i'm going i'm a little bit you know exacerbatory when i'm talking about julius Randle. but at the end of the day I, I see what's there and i know that the pieces are not around him and i can understand his frustration and that's how okay, so- basically so I'm going to throw a little disclaimer for the podcast, people listening. Uh, Ryan had to tap out because of internet problems. So we're going to continue the podcast without him moving forward. Um, of course, we'll try to drop some stuff that includes maybe his individual thoughts on some of these topics on social media or something like that. Um, continuing off of the point that you guys were, were making about Julius Randle in particular, I think the biggest thing with him moving forward is that I really do wonder how many more chances he's going to have at champ- at being a productive playoff caliber player to begin with, right? If you look at his progression so far, I think we all can agree that it's time now, these last three seasons, particularly with the New York Knicks, are definitely much better than his first four seasons and his initial stint with the Los Angeles Lakers. We've obviously seen the individual growth. This is a guy that I think you could argue, hmm, was he an all-star last year? I think that was more based off circumstances. Was he a guy that was more deserving of the most improved player award? That's a conversation where I feel like it's easier to table and have some constructive uh, you know, comments about because I think when you look around the league, his jump is one that's that that I think that year in particularly was probably at least a top five jump in terms of guys going from a season to season uh basis. I would say the other thing is, you know, um, Rob, you said that he's become a bit of a perennial 20 and 10 guy. And I think that has been relevant since his time. Um, that that one individual season with New Orleans that I would argue is the reason he ended up in New York in the first place, right? right? The reason why New York sought him out was because you dropped 21, nearly nine, three assists, and 
you do all of that on 52% from the floor, despite shooting, you know, not even shooting 35% from three. Like nearly that's a guy who was able though. to do that. That's nearly average though. Right. Exactly. Right. And I'll give you credit for that too. Like that's nearly average from three for a guy who to average nearly 20 and 10 and be below league average though from three, I think is at least indicative that this is a guy who can be dangerous from there. Now I will argue, I think 41% was a fluke personally, only because of how big of an outlier it is. Because forty one percent is like like almost seven percent higher right. than that that what would have been a career year in New Orleans for him at thirty four point four percent. So I would I would argue that's a fluke. But what I will give you credit to is I do think that Julius Randle is a guy that within a proper situation. You mentioned this a lot about the point guard play. I do think that plays a big role. They have a carousel of guys who play point guard, and they've had Alec Burks take over after all the nonsense no with having, you know, Derek Rose out, Kimball Walker not being able to stay in the rotation, and things like that. So it is a bit of a circus in the backcourt. You got a manual quickly. It's probably the only one that's actually made sense all year. So I do think that the point guard play will significantly improve things a lot. And I think if Julius can jump back up to being at least a 35 to 36% guy, mm-hmm. now we're cooking with grease. The, the question, and Chris, I want to pass it back to you, not just because of uh, your, your thoughts on Randall as a player, but kind of more so within the framework of where he goes next. Like, what are your thoughts on, like, what Julius even brings to the table? Because I do understand that you don't think that he's, like, like a championship caliber player, like, in terms of being a real contributor in a in a championship caliber rotation. But say he does end up in the Sabonis role or something of that nature where he is a guy who takes a team from looking like a bottom of the conference team to at least maybe looking more competent. What is Julius Randle on a team that you're trying to revive? What does that even look like, like in your eyes? Yeah. So first and foremost, the – the notion that Julius is hurting because he doesn't have a point guard is just misfounded to me. Mitchell mm-hmm. Robinson, you need a point guard. Even Obi Toppin, you need a point guard. But again, if we're going to say that Julius's game is predicated on playmaking, well, you're not going to put him beside Chris Paul then, right? Because <laughs> you're taking away from what you're doing. You know, that that's just my thing. But Julius, first and foremost, he would have to change the mentality, right? Right now, Julius coming off of the high from what he did you know last year i'm sure from that he all he even made second team all nba man like like, this is a guy where right now he he's he kind of feels like empowered and that's where you're seeing all of this Mm. you know he wants a james harden exit excuse me (laughs) (laughs) Like, like you know what i'm saying but if he can change the mentality and just understand that you are a good player, like, and the reason why I go so hard on him is is just because, like, it's conflated. He has a conflated idea of himself. But if he was to see himself just as, like, as, like, how Pascal does, you know, like how Siakam does, like, a lot of the things that Julius is struggling with right now, Pascal went through that with us at in Toronto. He, he definitely did. People were asking for him to be traded. People were saying that he's he's bad, he's shit, he's whatever. Pascal suffered through all of that. But you know what we're seeing right now with Pascal? We're saying that he deserves to be in an All-NBA team. We're saying that he deserve, he deserved to be an All-Star. We're saying that in the playoffs, I can't wait to see what Pascal does. And that's what you do. Pascal didn't just get up and say, you know, F, F, F you know, like, forget it. I'm done. Like, uh, no, like, 
keep your head down, work, and now we can see the game has returned to what we believe Pascal always had in him. He also so, wasn't in New York, though. But what I'm saying, but he, if, listen, and, and people may not know this, but Toronto is one of the hardest places to play because we don't take no shit either. So it's not like you're in Toronto and everything's rosy. If you're playing bad, we're going to tell you you're playing bad. You know what I'm saying? Like, So for me, it's the same situation. I feel like it's mentality first with Randall. He has to humble, and then once he get into a position where he can be paired with players, number one, he has to be paired with defenders all around him. That's that's first. Like, I'm sorry he's not a defender. If he can get paired with defenders around him and players that can obviously, and these are players that everyone wants, but defenders and who can also shoot. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? If he can get that, and then he can get a quality player to be like that number one where Randall doesn't have to do everything. And where I agree with Rob is with, like, his high turnover numbers is because, yes, everything right now is through Randall. Like, everything has to funnel through him, and he has to be doing it all. But if he can get a number one player that can take that load off of him, in the vein of, like, obviously not, these are high, high levels, like a Luka and LeBron or those type of players, but I don't know whatever the next level down from that, a Paul George, you know what I'm saying? Like, if he can get paired with a number one in that vein, where Randall can just automatically be the number two, that's where I feel like he'd be a great, a, a, not great player, but a good player within himself. That's, so that's what I think. What's the difference between what I said and what you just said? <laughs> that's exactly what I just said. No, no, no. What you said was Randall is good. <laughs> I didn't say Randall was good. I said Randall can be good if so on and so forth. There are things that have to come first. The mentality has to change. You're not that guy. That's number one. Number two, the way he plays has to change. Needs to be reserved, more reserved. You know what I'm saying? Take some of that responsibility away and tell him that we want you for this and this alone. And then we can then then we'll be able to see a player come out. That's that's just how I feel. I mean, I feel like that's an interesting point because you put it almost in like the reverse Jeremy Grant sense. It's kind of like Jeremy Grant felt himself too much and went somewhere where he could be an individual. And now he plays for Detroit, who we're going to end up talking about in a little bit in terms of this bottom of the Eastern Conference conversation, as opposed to being a cog for the Nuggets. And even in that situation, I think where you both where both of you guys' points kind of collide in a way that makes a lot of sense still is if he's put within the right framework of an organization, he can almost be what Jeremy Grant was for the Nuggets. And in that sense, he can be a guy that if all the right things sit around him, maybe he is not the first, second, third, maybe not even fourth, right, in certain respects. Because I I would argue with the Nuggets, right, there were a lot of times where, you know, you could argue maybe Will Barton was fourth for that team um, in any given series for them as an offensive spark plug. But it was obviously series-to-series based, um, where there's situations where he might not be the even the fourth best player on that team. But what he provides is what – plays a huge factor in their in that team's success. Something I want to ask you guys, and we're going to do this throughout the entire podcast for each of these teams, is it's very easy to rag on these teams. I feel like, obviously, with them being at the bottom of their conferences. But I want to try to be as optimistic about these teams moving forward as possible. So, Rob, I want to start with you. Um, whether Julius Randle is still on this team or not is something that, of course, we can table for a future podcast because I'd love to continue having a conversation about the Knicks and what their future is like, because they they have so many directions they can go with all the money they have and the pieces. 
um, that they currently have. Mm-hmm. But what is something that, like, based on what you've seen so far this season, makes you feel optimistic about the Knicks, not just maybe going into the summer, but, like, also going into next season? That's a tough question because, honestly, I've watched a fair <laughs> bit of Knicks basketball and there's not really much going on over there. I mean, obviously, <clears throat> we've mentioned that Ovi Toppin has kind of taken a little bit of a step forward, but even in, in, in the past, like, 10 games or so, the, num- the numbers are pedestrian. And he's 24, so how optimistic can you really be of, of him? I mean, I'm looking at guys like RJ Barrett, and they've been inconsistent all season. They really took a step back from last season where I thought, you know, this would be the, the breakout year. And it's it, it, it's tough to look at the Knicks because when I do look at the Knicks, it's like you had a flash in a pan moment. You kind of brought back the same team, and now everybody's kind of underperforming. So it's like I don't really know what your next step would be, but if I did have to kind of pick a player – to move forward with, I would probably put my money on Barrett just because I've seen the flashes, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like being a winger, in my opinion, is the hardest position to play in the league, right? And on top of that, I go back to it again. He's not playing with great talent around him, right? Aside from Julius, the team is really pedestrian. And I'll give, I'll put my money on, on, on Barrett just because I know he could score the ball. He, he's a decent rebounder. He just really honestly needs to get his percentages up, and I feel like he could be a really decent player um, for it. So if I'm the Knicks, I'm kind of looking at the next phase of my of my team and saying, okay, if we're going to end up having to pay RJ because contract time is coming up, now we need to start looking at who can we, comp- who can we add to complement his game if we think that he is of a certain caliber of a player. And I feel like that's still kind of up in the air, but... Aside from the percentages, RJ has really still performed well relative to other players that were in and around his age, right? The percentages are there, but he is able to score the ball. He's able to have flashes. So if I'm the Knicks, I'm just kind of – we didn't know everybody else, and I'm saying, okay, I'm going to pay RJ, mm. and who can I bring in to complement his game? And on top of that, I think the Knicks also needs to be real with themselves and understand that buying – your you think that you could buy your way to a successful team and that hasn't worked for you in the past, right? You need to now go the organic way, like how Memphis has done or all these other teams, Utah, however you want to do it. All these other small market teams that don't have the big bag behind them that are not able to go out there and buy the superstars. You need to go the grassroots route. Go up your scouting, get some decision makers in the building that know what they're doing and Build up for the future. This is a five-year mm-hmm. plan. This is not a summer to summer. I'm tired of listening to first take and talk about who the Knicks are buying this summer. This is a five-year plan you need to implement. And the sooner you come to that realization, the better off your team will be. Chris, how about you, man? Because I feel like, I, I, I mean, I agree with everything that Rob said in terms of like looking at it. Now, I understand the New York media is not hearing none of that. You know, overall, when you talk about the idea of a five-year plan, that's going to be a tough sell for anybody. And I think it's an even tougher sell just within your coaching room, talking about a guy like Tom Thibodeau signing up for a project, so to speak, right? But at the same time, I mean, it is kind of proven, right? You bring back Derrick Rose, you sign Evan Fournier, you bring in Kimball Walker. The only person who I think is actually really stuck that's like within that veteran rotation is probably Alec Burks. You're looking at a situation where you might lose Mitchell Robinson this offseason because there's definitely some teams that are willing to throw some bread at him. And the one guy who I would say maybe for this this do this new young move they could be making, talking about um Cam Red acquiring Cam Reddish, the dude has gotten no PT basically for, for this team. But I still see guys on this team, Miles McBride. Uh I think if you bring Mitch back. R.J. Barrett, I think, has 
like slowly but surely started to empower himself within this team, which I think is important as a former no, number three overall pick to really assert himself as a lead option for this team. And like Rob said, I think that although like there's not a dramatic year three leap, there are a lot of there's a lot more aggressiveness in this game. There's a lot more from him from a clutch gene factor and things like that that we've seen spurts of that give me some confidence. What are some things for you with the Knicks that you like look forward to? in terms of moving into next season. Again, I know this is one of those teams that is a little light because the only thing we can really say about them is they got a lot of money going into the summer, unlike a lot of teams. But uh, it's still worth asking the question. Yeah, I think the first thing that they have to do is fire Tim Thibodeau, Tom Thibodeau. Um, (laughs) It should have been done already, honestly. Um, But, yeah, he needs to be fired. I think that's literally game step one. Nothing happens before you fire him. Um, and I feel like you can already see that they're going to, they've resigned themselves to the fact that they have to move in that direction. Um, mm. And picking up Cam Reddish is, is, was the first indication of that to me. Um, the fact that you pick up Cam Reddish and you literally don't play him, he's sh- fireable offense. That alone, <laughs> besides everything else that Tom Thibodeau has been doing, that alone is a fireable offense. Uh, so you fire him. Um, they misuse Mitch Robinson. Mitch Robinson, I'm not saying that he's a top 10 big, top 15 big, whatever the case is. But the fact of the matter is, is that you you have him in and out of the starting lineup because of a guy like Noel. You have his minutes up and down because of a guy like Noel. And I have to ask, what is Noel? Like, what is Nerlens Noel? And then what is even more egregious is you have his minutes up and down because for some reason you need to play Taj Gibson. <laughs> need to play him like for some for some reason right so it's like i have no problem with you saying that you want taj gibson on your team to to nurture or to to be the vet in the locker room and all of that good stuff fine but you don't see udonis Haslam playing right you right. didn't see kendrick perkins playing when he was on the Cavs. didn't see nicholas Collin nick collinson playing when he was on okc right like there's a place for that role but it's not on the court, <laughs> so it's like, especially at the expense of at the expense of your young players. So honestly, that's just step one. Like this guy has to be fired, and I would want Mitch Robinson back. But as you said, like I would love to see Mitch Robinson in Detroit, right? Mm-hmm. Give put Mitch Robinson with a guy like Cade, and he can be the lob threat. Because I don't know if you guys watch Detroit. Maybe we'll talk about him today. Isaiah Isaiah Stewart is garbage. <laughs> so you, you you put you put you put Mitch Robinson on Detroit, he can be the lob threat that you need in pick and rolls, and he can be back there, I think he's like fourth in block percentage for the thing. So he'll mm-hmm. play some defense for you as well and shore up that side of things. So yeah, um I would want him back. I don't think they're gonna be able to get him back. When it comes to paying RJ Barrett, it's a tough one. Like and and these are these are these are the decisions where people either get an extension or lose their job Hmm. because paying rj barrett it's i'm not going to say that you don't do it but i'm not going to say that i would right to me i think it's going to come at what am i willing to do and what is he willing to to you know push back on in the sense that if he says oh i want a max right then i can't do that but if he says i'll work with you then i'll definitely do that it's kind of you know if guys like Aiden are out here saying i want a max and can't get a max right 
and we don't know what's going to happen with that. So for me, it's a tricky one. I would have I would have given eight in the max before I gave it to RJ Barrett, and I just have a feeling that RJ Barrett wants that max contract, and I just don't mm-hmm. know if I'm doing that. Um, so you know, I say all that to say the Knicks they're doomed. The Knicks aren't going anywhere. Jeez. (laughs) They're not going anywhere. It's too much questions for a team that has never shown the ability to handle or to provide me with the answers. Mm -hmm. Right? So I'm not going to now all of a sudden believe that you have answers to questions that you've never had before. Like, this is a team. They're the Dallas Cowboys without the rings. They they won a, a ring in 1973. My mom wasn't even born yet. (laughs) <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Like they've won a ring back then, and and they've been able to parlay being in New York to being this glamorized franchise that literally haven't won anything. So for me, it's like I don't know. They they're doomed, and all they have is you know. And I, this is why I don't really want to get at Knicks fans when they bring up a Zion and they bring up a Dame Lillard, when they brought up LeBron James and they brought up Kevin Durant and they brought up all the other stars of the past. It's because they they know they're incompetent and the only way they're going to be able to do anything is if they get saved. So how about we use our number one leverage, which is the market, and try and get one of these players to come and save us? Just like the Lakers did the other day when they got LeBron James. They were in the conversation with Orlando and Sacramento for the longest playoff drought. But sometimes all it takes is one player to come and save your franchise and just look like that. Now they have an NBA ring. And now, even though they're on their way back to irrelevancy, they can turn to you and say, we got a championship, though. Right? That's the, pl- that's the blueprint that the Knicks want to follow. And I think for them, it's the only one that makes any sense. Because I don't see them drafting well like Memphis or OKC or any of those other teams. Like They, they, they constantly get in, in their own way. I think those are all fair points. I hate that we had to be so negative about the Knicks, but at the same time, first of all, you guys are Toronto fans, so that's number one. I feel like when you talk about glamorized markets and you come from a team that does not get the kind of national notoriety that it deserves until playoff time, which is when you guys tend to be headlines, then um, it's very easy to look at a team like the Knicks and be like, bro, they are literally wasting wealth, essentially, from you guys' perspective. So I definitely understand that, too. I want to move to... um. I guess our hometown team, so to speak. I'm a Bulls fan, but we're located in Baltimore, Maryland. So Washington is the next team up. And I want to talk about the big news around Bradley Beal. Obviously, there was a lot of stuff that came out about him being rumored to the Miami Heat this summer. And um, I'm going to read a quote from him, actually, because he quite literally addressed this to a certain extent earlier. So this is from NBC, NBC Sports, and he says, I'm kind of embracing everything. So I'm not upset about the rumors. I'm not as upset about, you know, teams wanting me. I feel like that's good. That's a good thing, right? We put in the work and we were wanted by a lot of people, not just uh, where we're at. It's kind of funny. I've never been a free agent. It's kind of reminding me of college recruiting. Like I hear every single game somebody's recruiting me. Someone's like tagging on me, whether it's another player or whether it may be a coach or whoever it may be. Somebody chit-chatting. B, what do you want to do this summer? What are you, what are you doing this summer? Further on in that same report, it says the Miami Heat want Beal, but to make that work, it would involve Beal being willing to take a little less money, the Heat getting hard capped, and Miami surrendering Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero in the deal, plus picks and more if you think the Wizards are taking less, well, lay off the edibles is what he says in parentheses. I'm assuming that's his way of saying 
the Wizards are going for the big fish. If you're gonna if you're gonna get rid of Bradley Beal through doing a sign and trade, they're not gonna just do it for anything. Um, and they're not gonna take pennies on the dollar. All things I think we all understand. So the way I want to ask this question is first of all, if you're Miami, because I just read this out, right? They have to be hard capped, they have to trade Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero. And they have to give away picks, which Miami barely has to begin with, <laughs> with the way they've moved the last couple of seasons. So, Rob, I'll start with you. Like, if, like, like the first question really should be, like, if you're Miami, I understand this is Bradley Beal. Don't get it twisted. I also understand this is pairing Bradley Beal with Bam, with Kyle Lowry, with Jimmy Butler. But, like, if you're Miami, do you risk what it sounds like you have to risk to acquire a guy like Bradley Beal? I mean, this this is the same team that was like the number one seed like last week. You know what I mean? Despite having done injuries on their roster. I mean, I, I, my opinion, I just thought this thing wrong. I'm doing it every time. In basketball, you have a window, right? Window changes sometimes depending on your player, but Jimmy's getting up there. Bam's already solidified himself as one of the better bigs in the league. You have ancillary players. Your team is already performing at a high level. What more What more information do you need about your team before you realize that, hey, we need that extra little lift? A guy like Bradley Beal, as much slack as we may give him, led the league in points once, came second the other year, has been an efficient scorer for the most part of his career. Yeah, he may not necessarily be the greatest superstar, but he's still a star nonetheless, right? You pull the trigger every single time. You made it to the finals. You didn't get it done. Granted, I would consider the Lakers a juggernaut in that season, right? Like, AD was performing all cylinders. It was, it was a tough matchup, but you have to kind of look yourself in the mirror and say, is this team as currently constructed going to be able to beat any team that we see in the finals? If you have any doubts about that, you pull the trigger on, on um, Bradley Beal. Simple as that. Guys like Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero shouldn't stop you from getting a guy like Beal. It was the same thing when I always raised an eyebrow when they said, oh, um, when James Harden was looking to move, Tyler Hero was the stopping point. What, what are we talking about? Why are you going to stop for a guy that may be better when you have a guy that's good right now, right? And this is your window. Pull the trigger, increase your bottom line, make your team across the board, across the board better, and go forward. And again, the thing I like about the NBA is that it's a fluid situation. You'll make a decision today and it looks like you're locked in for the next five years. And in three years time, you have a completely different team, mm-hmm. right? Things shift so frequently in the NBA that I'm not going to hesitate to get a guy like Bradley Beal on my team because I'm worried about what my team may look like in three years. If that means that I think with him on my team, I'm going to be able to push to the finals or make the finals and compete for a real championship, be a real contender, I'm putting the trigger every time. And I don't even think it's a hard decision, to be honest. So, Chris, something I would take away from that I kind of want to address, too, is like when you look at this team, particularly the Miami Heat are in a really interesting situation because of the way their season this year played out. Right. Jimmy's missed time. Bam's missed time. Kyle's missed time. And you've seen this significant step up from guys like Max Struess, Caleb Martin playing within that realm. Tyler Hero to a certain extent. But I think everybody kind of came into the year saying like, Last year was just a down year. Tyler Hero is probably going to come out and swing a lot better this year, this go around and be a lot more focused and tapped in. And we've seen that. And he looks like a guy who might win six men of the year with the trajectory he's, uh, he's been on. But specifically talking about those guys like Max Struess and Caleb Martin, I don't think they are necessarily um, perfect one-to-one replacements for guys like Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero. But I do think the play of guys like that does give you, if you're Miami, a certain level of confidence, 
like Rob said, to, to look at that and say, within our window, if we're getting 50% of what Tyler Hero is, right? If we're getting 50% of what Duncan Robinson is, but we are getting an 100% locked in Bradley Beal on this team alongside of, of, alongside of those things, that seems like an even enough trade to pull the trigger. So I, I, I kind of pose the question to you the same way I did with, with Rob is like, 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 do you think that like when doing that kind of math and, and still understanding what you have to give up, obviously, but when doing that kind of math, like, does it feel like that's that, like it's worth it to make that kind of move? Because it's easy to lean in and just say the name orients making the move. But I think Miami specifically is like one of those intriguing situations where they're kind of the team that the the name is just a cherry on top and the actual assets itself that they have to move out isn't going to really change the room too much. The big fish is Bradley Beal. And as long as you're the team that gets the big fish, you tend to win the trade is what they always say. That's where Miami will be ending up in this situation. Yeah. And for me, it's a sticky one. Um, it's a sticky one because number one, the play of Brad Beal hasn't been what we expect Brad Beal to be. He's he's definitely coming off of a season that he's not going to be proud of. Um, so that's number one. So the fact that you would have to basically be buying high on an asset that is playing low would give me pause off the jump. Mm. But if you assume that Brad Beal is Brad Beal, and you're going to get, first of all, you know you're not going to get the one that was 31 a game, right? Mm. So that already has to factor in some to say, okay, how much do I give? The reason why I, I still would say yes if the package is Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson is because Duncan Robinson has not been Duncan Robinson. And this is another guy that after that initial year, he shot 44% on like nine threes a game, which is ridiculous. That is like numbers that is ridiculous, right? But the thing is that we all accepted it as what Duncan is, right? So he went from 44 to 40 last year, or you can round it up 44, but if you're going to round up, you're going to have to round the next one up to 45. So basically Mm -hmm. 44 to 40 last year, this year he's 37. It's still good because he's still shooting eight threes a game, right? But it's not the, oh, wow, nah, this guy is such a weapon, best three-point weapon in the league type of you know type of vibe that he was during that 2020 season. Tyler Hero, this is a guy that, you know, I remember in his rookie year, he was deemed untouchable. And then in his second year, they decided that he wasn't untouchable anymore after he wasn't playing well. And now you get him playing well again, and now, you, now you're hearing that, you know, some GMs think that he can get a max contract and whatever the case may be, right? So, obviously, mm-hmm. his value has fluctuated as his play has, which is obvious. I get that. Um, but what I will say is I would do it because I don't truly believe in the two players. Like, I believe in Tyler Hero more than I do Duncan Robinson. And you can all, all read, like, what Tyler Hero is doing, he's showing that, at the very least, he can be a guy who comes off the bench and he can play like a starter. That's mm-hmm. valuable. So, I do believe in in Duncan Rob not in Tyler Hero. I don't necessarily believe in Duncan Robinson because this is a two year down downslide that he's going through right now. Um, mm. So although you know Brad Beal has never been in a winning situation other than the first couple of years when John Wall was the number one player, um, and then since Brad Beal became the number one player, has never been in a winning situation. 
although he's going over to Jimmy Butler, who has shown us now he will not and cannot stay healthy. Kyle Lowry is going to be 36, if not already 36. <laughs> Bam, yes, I do it because Bam and Brad Beal, I like that pairing, right? Mm-hmm. Brad Beal can pass, Bam can pass. Um, Brad Beal can score, and Bam can, you know, facilitate that scoring and score on his own as well. I want Bam to someday become a 20-point-per-game scorer. I feel like he can. Uh, so for that reason, I would do it. Um, but it's it's definitely not a slam dunk. Yes, yes, yes. It, it's something that I would have to, you know, mull over a bit. And it will depend on, I don't really have draft picks to give out anyways. But as Rob said, Butler is 30-something. You know, Kyle Lowry, I just said he's old. If you do trade for Brad Beal, he would be old as well. But the two cornerstones, the Kyle Lowry and the Kyle Lowry and the Jimmy Butler, they're they're approaching over the hill. Right. So, you know, Bam is good enough and Tyler Hero is good enough to where you're not going to bottom out. I don't anticipate you bottoming out. So, yeah, whatever picks you do have left, sure, give it up if you can get Bradley Beal and it can, you know, give you that type of shot in your arm injection to try and get that championship. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's the I think that's the big thing is I, I, I think there is a little bit of weight behind it. And I think based on your philosophy, you, you are either going to be the one that is caused to pause or instantly on it. And I think that's that's going to be the big question for us going into this offseason. And I think the results of this playoff run for Miami is going to be really indicative of what they choose to do, right? Because if they make another run like they did in the bubble and they hit their head on the goalpost but don't cross the finish line, does that make them think that with their current roster they cannot get over the top and they need to get that shot in the arm, as you said, Chris, in order to be able to get over that hump? Or... Let's say I probably have them as like the the third team championship picture wise in the East right now. But let's say they overcome that. They do win the championship. Well, now are are you getting better simply for the the purpose of getting better? Or do you put yourself in a position where you say we can win under this umbrella and from from playing a long game wise, guys like Tyler Hero, Bam and guys like that are going to be around. Let's just play the long game. We're coming off a championship as it is. Let's ride it out and run it back. So I do think that this this playoff run is going to have a lot to do with that choice just as much as just the talent itself on the board. Um, I'll come back to you with this, Rob, because like I said, I want to kind of do this with each of these teams. What's something that you feel extremely optimistic about when it comes to this um, Wizards team? Because when you look at it, and I guess I'll phrase it this by making a two-part question. They have an interesting group of guys on this team if you're talking about trying to build a core. They have a handful of dudes that you can definitely take a look at. Christos Porzingis being acquired was an interesting choice, and I still kind of wonder why that happened. I'm still kind of in the midst of trying to put that whole thing together because it did seem like kind of a spur-of-the-moment move just to get Spencer Dinwiddie out of there. But Kyle Kuzma has been really, really good this season. Rui Hachimura, when he's been on the floor, has been relatively productive. I think Daniel Gafford and Thomas Bryant are guys that, like, can coexist as part of a front court pairing. Maybe not necessarily playing at the same time, but, like, in the sense of, like, being two guys that you can definitely have in your front court as a part of a rotation. They have some pieces, but this Bradley Beal thing just makes them – a really like head scratching team. So is there anything going into this offseason that makes you feel kind of like good about them knowing that that's in the backdrop? Well, I'll be honest with you. It's it's a two-parted answer because it really depends on the Bradley Beal situation. If Bradley Beal goes, mm-hmm. then you need to clean house. 
There's no reason for guys like KCP and Thomas Bryant to be on this team. You need to clear those guys out. There's a lot of teams that can use those guys as rotational pieces, and you'll get something in return. You don't need to get the haul, but you'll get something in return. You have too much guys on your team that you, I feel like you don't know enough about. Corey mm-hmm. Kispert, you just drafted. What is what is he? Right? You have Danny Abdia. What is he? Right? Can Kuzma actually be a cog on your team moving forward? Like You have so many questions that I feel like the Wizards themselves need to answer about the people that they have on their team that are under like age 25, 26. That you really need to, I think you need a period of time where you're able to evaluate these guys and see who they truly are before you just start wondering about the next phase of your team. If Beal stays now, then you have to make a decision. If Beal stays and says, I want to be the guy and goes to Mellow Well and tries to go out like a loser, then you're going to have to get the talent around him. And it's sad to say because I don't even think that some of these guys on the team would, would garner a, a trade chip that would even make the Wizards relevant. If you couldn't do it with Westbrook, I don't know who's going to pair with Beal to do it with the rest of this cast. Um, mm. But yeah, it's one or the other. If Beal goes, clean house, evaluate your players, see what you have, and then move forward like that and give them as, many, as much run as possible. If he stays, it's grim for the Wizards. There's no optimism if he stays, to be honest, because it just looks like one of those guys is going to go out there and average. He's not going to average 30 again. He'll probably average 25, 26, and then we're just going to always be mm. talking about the Wizards as the 10th, 11th seed in the West. And sorry, in the East, then. I don't see a path to getting better if Beal stays. Like, I, I, I truly don't. Nobody's coming to Washington. It's not a hot spot. You don't have any trade chips that are under a certain age where you can really leverage to get some big fish to come in. Your draft picks aren't really going to be that great. And your draft picks you have, you don't even know if they're good. So it, it, it's tough. Beal has to go for this team to improve in the long I think run. That's a good... I think that's a good point. Chris, I want to pass it to you just in terms of like your thoughts on like any potential optimism for this team, because I do think that point that Rob made about specifically like this team's like quote unquote future cannot improve without Bradley Beal. But at the same time, what notably can you do if like if he remains right, you don't want to be hurt. You're going to be hurt whether he leaves or stays essentially is like the 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 circumstances they run into. So, like, it, I mean, again, for, for the Wizards, right, is there even a way to be optimistic about their situation when it seems like you are forced to play devil's advocate to make any situation positive for this team moving forward? Um, I don't think so, honestly. And they, I promise there's some teams that are on the bottom that I do feel optimistic about, but the mm-hmm. Wizards are on, they're just one of those I just don't. And it's... One side of it is because the the Chris Tapps trade, I understand you basically got him for, I guess, relatively free. You gave up Davis Bertans and you gave up Dinwiddie. Both of those players weren't playing well for you. Um, so you got Chris Tapps, sure, but like for what, right? Like for what, what is the reason? Um, I have always been a proponent that you want to, they needed to trade Brad Beal last year yep or the you know the year before maybe be a bit too early but last year definitely like you should have dealt him last year and now you're trading him now when he is a free agent and we're talking about you know the notion that brad beal gives off the energy as if you know washington should be honored to give him a supermax right and i and again like for what like for what you haven't you've averaged 30 a couple of times and both times you know the team didn't go anywhere right so for me it's like 
right now i'm sure they know they're resigned to the fact that yeah they we need to move on i feel like that's what they honestly believe but they're gonna you know pedal it however they need to to see if they can get whatever trade they can get um but yeah i the the the, the prospects on the team aren't good enough for me danny advia isn't good enough for me cory kispert's a nice player but he's just not good enough um Rihachimara, like and it also doesn't fit like nothing like meshes like you have Rui and you have Advia like they play the same position you know you also have Kyle Kuzma they play the same position <laughs> you know I like um not Thomas Brand I don't like him but I like Gafford, um, Gafford. I love Gafford honestly love yeah, him same. I think Gafford is a great player I'm not gonna say that he should be a starter but I think that if you bring him off the bench 20 minutes a game He'll, he's one of those guys that's got to average a 10, a 6, and 1.5 blocks a game. Like, I think that's the type of player he is. So if Chris Saps was younger, like 24, and you had Gafford behind him, I would be like, yeah, I can see where that's cooking. You know, get a point guard and whatever the case is. But Chris Saps is old, and he he, he has old? injuries on every part of his body. Well, his body's old. Even if I was he's gonna not. say, I, I I agree with Chris in this framework. Like, even if he's not like old, like in the literal it, sense, I would say that the injury old. accumulation has yeah. definitely made it tough to like trust him on a season to season basis. And that's the big thing. I think a point that you guys both made in a way that I think actually is even more important is like this team definitely fleshed out its depth, but like to what end? Like to what means? Like there's such thing. Orlando has this problem or had this problem before they finally shipped out everybody, right? Where it was this idea that they had like enough talent to say that like you had more you 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 had more than just five capable starters on your on your roster. You have more than just five guys on this Wizards roster that are capable of being within a starting rotation. But is there anybody that actually like truly puts you over the top in a way that makes you a legitimate threat? You would think that was Bradley Beal, but we kind of saw how that fairy dust kind of waved off early. Because remember, this was like one of the hottest teams in the NBA at the beginning of the year. Right? And that 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 tanked quickly. And we got you know early I mean? pods of me saying this team is garbage, man. Stop it. Let's not do that. And you know Rob's, what I mean? Rob's remembers and 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 my other two co-hosts were trying to say, you oh, know, they can the record is the record. And I was like, nah, listen, teams won't fool me, man. <laughs> teams won't fool me. This is definitely a Wizards team that I think for longevity purposes, it comes a point where you, where you look at this squad and you you definitely wonder. I mean, if I had to pick like three guys I can lean on moving forward for sure, I like Kuz, I like Gafford, and I actually like Idea. I think the fact that he was brought in as a guy who could be an offensive ball handler at the wing position and his, his one quote-unquote flaw was supposed to be sh- three-point shooting, and instead he's come and completely reinvented his game to being more of a defensive stopper for this team, mm-hmm. shows me progression. For him to come into the league and want to be a defender in his opening in his opening year, as opposed to trying to assert himself as that offensive threat that we were known for him being on, on the international circuit, I think that's actually something to be able to build upon as opposed to like really knock him for. We've seen plenty of players start as the defensive stopper and turn themselves into a legitimate offensive threat. And that's how you build a two-way player. So if anything, he has the framework of a guy who can be a two-way wing. And Chris, you actually said this earlier, bro. Like they, they two-way wings don't walk across the street and you can just pick them up and throw them on a roster. So to have somebody like that with that capability on your roster, I think that's something to be able to work with. 
Now, we got to go to a team that I know we all got to be optimistic about. I have zero doubt in my mind that we'll at least feel a lot better about this team. It's Indiana. Indiana is at 13th, but this team, hashtag fleeced, bro. They did work at the deadline, didn't they, man? I mean, golly. First of all, they got five picks in this draft coming up this summer. They got Tyrese Halliburton mm-hmm. in a trade that we still are wondering whether or not somebody was late, laced, intoxicated, or just full-on coerced into making happen in Sacramento. Two of those five picks are in the top 20. One of them is going to be in the lottery. I mean, bro, they even kept Miles Turner, who I personally argue, like, for building your team, probably was a lot better of an asset to keep around than DeMontis Sabonis. Preaching to so the by fire, getting brother. Tyrese, <laughs> man, like, to get Tyrese, keep Miles, and have these draft picks on you, they're just in a really intriguing situation. They're going to have Ricky Rubio's money come off the books from trading uh, Karis Levert to, Cat- to the Cleveland Cavaliers. So that's going to free up some money for them. I know they're not a big free agent destination, but that creates some space for them to go get guys that fit as real cogs in a system for this team. So hopefully there's a little bit more optimism around this one. Rob, I'm going to start with you. Like your thoughts really just on this team moving forward, considering like all the assets they have both on their team already and what they're staring at this summer. Cause like, I mean, this is a team that from like a potential standpoint, like in terms of guys that can become something, they got a couple different hits to work with. So this might be an unpopular opinion, but I'll say this. I, I hope okay. to be optimistic about the Indiana Pacers, but a couple of things have to be taken into consideration. Okay. I don't think Indiana's been in a position where they've had to make real quote-unquote franchise make, like altering decisions. When was the last time Indiana had, had like a top pick and really had to dwindle it down to say, if I don't pick the right guy, this may affect our franchise moving forward. With that all these picks on point. the board, you're not you're not dealing with a guy like Sam Press. You're not dealing with some of these guys who are known to make surefire picks. So I don't know the decision maker in this in, in this organization and what he's capable of doing on a, on a on a year-to-year basis. And it's a lot of responsibility now that you have these picks. However, with mm-hmm. that being said, I do like what they did at the deadline, right? They got some guys who are coming in and able to play right now, like Buddy Hill. And then you also got a core piece to the franchise like Tyrese Halliburton. Malcolm Brogdon has struggled to stay healthy. He's looking like he's getting up there in age. I think he's almost turning 30, if I'm not mistaken. Like, he's up there in age. He's getting there. So it's the best of both worlds, but it's also a sticky situation. You're going to make – you're going to have a lot of opportunities to better yourself, but you make sure – you have to make sure you have faith in the decision-making process because this just as easy can go back to that. And I always heart back to the situation when Danny Ainge had all those picks, all those picks. I'm going to do this. I'm going to die. You have X amount of draft picks. and if you really chase the picks, it didn't really turn out so much. And that could just be the luck of the draw. But again, the draft is not surefire. And Indiana hasn't necessarily instilled the faith in me to say that they're going to be able to go out there and build a solid contending team moving forward. And they obviously know they're not about the, they're not about the free agent splash. They, they, that's never been part of their culture. So I like what they did. They made the right moves. It's just I'm a little bit curious and, and, and hesitant to see how they proceed moving forward now that they have all that those assets on hand what are you doing with it how are you going to proceed how are you going to better your team i'm optimistic though i'm optimistic because i can't say that you're not going to do it if i haven't seen you do it right so i'll i'll err on the side of caution and say that you know they'll probably make the right decision and end up in a better position than they were a year or two years ago when it seemed like they were just in middling basketball purgatory but uh, we'll see i'm optimistic 
I think you I think you make a really compelling point about the idea of not necessarily seeing them. You we're coming off a draft where I would argue that Chris DeWarte was definitely a solid pick and especially towards the earlier portion of the season was like, you know, top 5 in rookie of the year. Now obviously that dynamic has changed a lot. Frost Wagner is really good. You guys have Scotty Barnes who like honestly between him and Evan Mobley has been kind of a toss-up for me. I'm starting to lean Scotty, by the way. I'm not doing that just because y'all on the podcast. He's he's I'm coming around on Scotty, man, because I mean, it, he's he's just become a lot better of a scorer over the course of the season. And that was probably one of his biggest red flags coming into the year was just how effective was he going to be on the offensive end. So we're still talking about but going back to Indiana, like Chris Duarte was one of those guys who definitely asserted himself early when given that opportunity, especially with, you know, having guys like TJ Warren out of the t- out of the lineup for a significant amount of time and um, having guys like Karis LeVert in and out of the lineup due to injury. So that's it. That was, a, I would argue, a hit. But like you said, that wasn't a potential franchise altering move. This is a 24-year-old cog-in-the-system guy that we're going to add next to Miles Turner, DeMontis Sabonis, Malcolm Brogdon. Let's go make another run at this playoffs. And that instantly got humbled earlier in the season when things, A, didn't start out the way they expected, and B, injuries kind of – like the, the injury stuff started to pile up kind of beyond recovery. And so I think that's a really good point is to bring up the idea that like when that's a really good point to talk about the idea, like when is the last time Indiana has really had to draft for their life? Like really, really draft for the purpose of building something as opposed to kind of just keeping the ship afloat for the last couple of seasons. It's kind of been all about not wavering. Right. They've always been the a top five team in the East that gets whacked in the first round, but we made it. Can't tell us we didn't, we can't tell us we didn't make the top four. You can't tell us we didn't make the top eight, and that was good enough. But there comes a point now with this rebuild. What you do in this draft actually determines where you move forward, as opposed to in years past, those drafts were just sprinkles added to whatever you already had. So, so I think that is a great point. So I'll say this, right? Do you have the foresight to draft Scotty, or are you taking Suggs? Are you taking Bagley? Or are you taking Don Chess or Trey? And these are the decisions that we have to talk about because these are decisions that are made on draft day but don't realize how bad of a decision it may have been until years after, right? Hmm. So that, that's where I sit with Indiana. What are, which side of the coin do you fall? I think that's a really good thing to like really take a look at. Right now, according to Tankathon, they would have the fifth overall pick in the upcoming draft, and they would grab Keegan Murray from Iowa, which is actually like pretty dope considering that you're talking about getting a, a, a wing scorer who can really put the ball in the basket. And when you look at their current personnel, wing is probably where they're the lightest. Right. Um, not just due to injury, but just I would say from an overall talent perspective too. So I think that that would actually be an interesting pickup. But I do think, just, just putting that in perspective, where they land in that top five, that is a good question to bring up, right? That idea of being able to pick one or the other. Because the big debate right now is, is it Chet? Is it Jabari? Or is it Paolo? Or did somebody else like Jaden Ivey sneak in? So now you have to have the forethought of, what does my roster look like? And which one of these guys do I think not only is the best player on the board, but actually puts my franchise back into like some kind of optimistic situation around guys like Tyrese Halliburton moving forward. So I do, I do agree with that. Chris, I want to get your thoughts on it because the biggest thing with Indiana for me too, moving forward, the only part where I might have cause to pause is 
with Miles Turner in particularly. And I don't think it's necessarily Miles Turner as a player. It is more so what you put Miles Turner next to in the front court. That kind of makes me worry because whether you like DeMontis Sabonis or not, and I'm not a huge fan, but I'm not going to discredit the man. He is a a two-time All-Star by Hooker Crook. If that pairing did not necessarily work, what kind of player does fit next to Miles Turner? Is something I've kind of really struggled with. So, like, what are your thoughts on Indiana? Not just with the Miles Turner fit, but like overall, but like factoring that in as well. Yeah, I'm I'm a hundred percent optimistic when it comes to Indiana, and you know, when it comes to like their their draft and what they've been able to do, this is a team that has never truly had a top ten pick. Like, I think I, the, the the highest I can remember of them having is like Paul George when he got drafted at ten. And the fact that you were able to identify a Paul George at 10 speaks to, you know, you have some competence there. They've also drafted, as you said, Chris Duarte did a lot a lot of good this year as well. Isaiah Jackson's looking great. Another mm-hmm. player that they drafted. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, another player that they drafted. These are all late draft picks, like 10 and beyond. Right? Or not, well, not Matthew Brogdon. Yeah, Brogdon, Brogdon, Brogdon was on the, the Bucks, Bucks. But yeah. these are all, like, most of their draft picks are all 10 and beyond. And you know they're getting good players coming in like it's 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 good um so for me it's like the fact that you were able to use Sabonis where as as you said I'm not going to say that he's bad or anything like that but I'm not also not going to say that he was going to move the needle for you in any way I think that mm-hmm. Tyrese Halliburton is a player that will definitely do that as a guard that can defend that can hit shots that can play make what else do you want you know what I'm saying? Like, for me, it's like, tell me something else. He can right. score. He can defend. He can shoot. He can pass. What else do you want out of a player, right? So, for me, it's like the fact that you were able to get him. Miles Turner, I've always said if I'm trading one of the two, I'm trading Sabonis. I'm not trading Miles Turner because mm-hmm. his block numbers are for real. His shooting is for real. So, that I loved as well. You picking up draft picks, Keegan Murray, I think he he would definitely fit right into what they want to do. Um, but I'm hoping that, you know, something shake out at the top where one of those consensus top four can slide to them. Or mm-hmm. they can get up there. You know, just get up yeah, one more some stuff up to move up. Get mm-hmm. one more slot up. Just get into that top four range where you can Keegan Murray will probably still be there if you do feel like he's better than a Jaden Ivy. And you can still possibly get one of those top four players that you may feel better about. Because the way I always see it is, you know, Raptors falling to four, what it did for us is we were able to evaluate Suggs, but we were also able to look elsewhere and find who we actually want. Right. So I want them to be able to move up. But I feel like this team is in the good is, is moving in the right direction. I love picking up Buddy Heald as well. Buddy Heald is coming up for contract, I believe, or I think he has one more year on his on his mm-hmm. deal. If you want to trade him to a team like the Los Angeles Lakers that feel like they need him, you can you can probably trade him at a plus. Right. <laughs> Definitely more than you gave up for it to acquire him. So you can yep. you can trade him at a plus. Or you can keep him because I think he's a good player. He's a player that's good that that can do things for you. Um, mm. You have Tyler, um, Tyrese Halliburton, as we said. You still have Miles Turner and Ma- and Isaiah Jackson has been showing me things. 
even Gogo Potatsi has been showing me things. Chris Duarte <laughs> looks like yeah. he can be something someday. You know, I think they have a very a, a whole bunch of good players on that team right now. They have money. I'm not saying that they're going to go out there and get the biggest of fish, but if they can go out there and get a guy that can, you know, take some a little bit of that playmaking off of Tyrese Halliburton, I want Tyrese to have the ball, don't get me wrong. Just take a bit of that off of him, get some plus playmaking from, from you know, a small forward or a, you're going to draft probably a small forward in Keegan Allen, but Keegan Murray, sorry. But if you can get a four, Dre and Grant, I don't really want him because he's going to come in with a different mentality of trying to take over things. I don't want that. But a player in that type of vein where they slot in, they defend, they can do a little bit of playmaking and they can hit shots as well. I think that's what they need. But this is a team where... I feel like in the next five years, if they do well in the draft, right, in the next coming drafts that they have, I think in the next five years, they're going to be a team in the East where we can say are going to definitely be in the playoffs and we can clearly see what they're building towards getting back into like the upper echelon that they were in when they had, you know, the Lance Stevensons and the Roy Hibbert and the Paul George. Like I can see them on that road. They're they're back to prosperity is what I would say. This is one team on the bottom that is on the road to prosperity, in my opinion. Okay. Rob, you got any further thoughts on that? I I um I mean I don't have a t I don't too much more to add in terms of Indiana just because I, I feel like I'm kind of with Chris on this one in terms of like feeling pretty optimistic about their direction. I just simmed the lottery on Tankathon like 10 times while we were talking and they landed in the top two, four out of the 10 times, which I mean, is pretty optimistic considering that's just the top two. They landed in the top four, another like two to three times within that time frame. So for the most part, the lowest they were slotted during that, during that, the simming was like eight, but the highest was number one. And we got number, number one and number two, like I said, four times. So if they can get, not to say that the ping pong to, balls are going to fall that way, but yeah, you know, still not to cut you, but if they were able to get Jabari Smith, all bets are off. Obviously. To, <laughs> that is literally what's on the screen at the moment too. If That's you crazy. compare Jabari Smith with Tyrese Halliburton and you're telling me like, those are the two players that I'm, I'm going into this new Come on, man. I'd, I'd become an Indiana fan. I'd be on the bandwagon. <laughs> I'm telling you, like, I'm that big All of a Jabari right. Smith fan. So, like, okay. if I see Jabari Smith land with Tyrese Halliburton, and, and Robs can tell you, before that draft, when we were talking about, you know, after you get past the mellow and the whatever the case is, Tyrese was my guy. I was telling mans, you got to draft Tyrese. He's a player. They were saying, oh, it, Robs was talking about his form. He can't shoot. <laughs> Can that form translate to the NBA? Well, he's been a 40% shooter in, le in the league so far. He's been two years now. 40%. Oh, his steal rate. There was it, more to it, it than that, up? man. Don't, uh, don't please, do that. That's what you were saying. Can his steal rate keep up? It's kept up. The steal rate has kept up. Can he be a lead guard? He looks like a lead guard to me. You know what I'm saying? So I'm a big Tyrese fan. I'm a big Jabari fan. If that can happen, that would be the dream scenario for me still. Rob, you got any final thoughts on um, on Indiana? No, nothing really. I'm just saying, again, it's going to come down to making those decisions, right? I, I really, I'm hoping that with all these new accumulated assets, they're able to really take in and capitalize on the opportunity that they have in front of them. But one thing I will say is that I think that Indiana has to really look themselves in the mirror and understand the situation that they're in. Don't be afraid to bottom out. It's okay. They look like one of those teams that, for whatever reason, only want always want to stay semi-competitive. If you need to bottom out to better yourself, do it. 
There's there's no shame in that. And again, that may not happen this year. That may not happen next year. But I don't want to see guys like Buddy Hill resign. I don't want to see guys like TJ Warren, if he even plays basketball, to come back to the court. I, I don't want to see that. If you have to bottom out for the betterment of your team, do it. And that sounds a lot easier than it is because there's some teams that are just, for whatever reason, so hard-headed that they don't want to accept the fact that you need to get worse to get better in most mm-hmm. cases. Uh, so we'll see what's in store for Indiana. But I would just say that don't be afraid to bottom out, man, because there's talent coming through the pipeline left, right, and center. And last thing you want to do is skip out on that talent because you want to be in the play well, we're moving on to two teams that are definitely not afraid of bottoming out. We're going to start with Detroit, um, who just literally listed um, Jeremy Grant is out for the rest of the season. I think it was with like a quad or a calf, uh, two of the like easiest things to lean on when you need to put an injury report in to, to be able to sit a guy for the last seven games of the year. Um, but the guy I want to focus on is Cade Cunningham. Uh, for obvious reasons. I think we all understand why he's obviously the talking point of this team. But uh, I want to talk about something specifically in terms of him being a franchise guy for this team. He started out the year pretty slow, right? Coming off of injury, out of summer league and everything like that. And averaged 14.6 points per game in the month of November. And that was kind of where um, things, that's kind of where things were kind of dead for him to say the least. It seemed like him and Jalen Green had a really slow first couple of months to the season and people were completely off them early and seemed to like not be sold, pulling out the bus cards early. And since then, 17.9 points um per game in the month of December, 17.3 points in the month of January. Uh dropped down a little bit to 15.9 in the month of February, but he didn't play nearly as many games. And now we're talking about being on the back end of March, but in March, averaging 22.5 points per game, along with 6.2 rebounds, 7.1 assists. And the three-point shooting has not been there this season. Um, and I think we, I, at least I'm going to say me personally, thought that that was going to translate well from the college level to this level, and it hasn't done, done so far. He's also gotten comparisons in from, from, a, from a play style standpoint to Luka Doncic, which I think arguably would tell you that his three-point shooting wouldn't be good if you ever watched Luka Doncic because outside of step-back threes, it seems that his percentages aren't t- typically high from beyond the arc. But I think the progression is really important, especially what he's doing in the month of March because I understand that maybe for them the stakes are not high, but for the teams that they are playing on a regular basis, especially in the Eastern Conference, there are a lot of people, there are a lot of teams still fighting for their lives. And so producing at a high level against these teams tells you a lot about what this player can be when he plays on full tilt. So, Rob, I'll start with you, bro. Like, based on what you've seen this year, again, one year sample size, started out the year a little bit injured. So it is tough to give a full blown grade slash evaluation. But from what you've seen, like, do you feel as though Cade Cunningham has the tools to be a franchise cornerstone for the Pistons? And I'm going to kind of leave this as like a two street answer in the sense that if you think he is, what do you think is something they need to do or a type of player they need to acquire in order to put around him to maximize that? And if you think he's not, do you think there's somebody in this upcoming draft class that's capable of being that person for the Pistons? So I'll be fair, and I'll, I'll say from the very beginning, I wasn't a big fan of, of Cade coming out of college. I wasn't sure if he was this. I feel like any time you, you get a guy that's around 6'7 or above 6'5 and you can dribble the leg of your point guard. And it's just like, I didn't ever see him as a true lead guard, and he's proved me wrong. I think he, 
he's clearly shown that he's capable of filling that role. But it's tough when I when I when I ask him about when I'm being asked about whether he's a franchise guy because I feel like it's so premature. I feel like those are the type of questions you have to you have to answer once you've had a, a bigger sample size. But if I'm mm. attributing it to the one year. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna say no, and that's just honestly that's me airing on the side of caution. I think that word is tossed around really, really, really lightly, and people take it for granted. But there's only about eight, nine franchise guys in the league. There's a lot of good guys. There's a lot of guys that can bring you to 500. There's not a lot of franchise guys in the league, and not to say that I expect the Cade to come in and bring Detroit to the playoffs, but he hasn't exactly brought the team to play winning basketball to no fault of his own really but it just it's a fact of the matter so there's a couple of things that have to change for me before i can just assign him the label of a franchise guy like you need to start winning i need to see people around you getting better and i understand who he's playing with is is next to the d league cha- g league talent like there's not talent on that roster and i get it but again facts of the matter uh, so a couple of things have to change before i label him a franchise guy but i'm optimistic I'm optimistic. I feel like anybody else on the roster is expendable except for Cade, and Cade seems versatile enough that you could really bring in anyone and, and play alongside of him, and it should be able to work out because Lord knows he's playing with Killian Hayes, who I think is like a bottom five player in the league right now, and it's he's still able to do something. So just pair him with whatever, bring in as much talent as possible, and let him figure it out. But I'm not going to label him a franchise guy just yet. I'm kind of glad that you threw that last part in there because I was going to say, that definitely seemed like your nice way of saying we got to give Isaiah Stewart less minutes, get Killian Hayes up out of there, figure out what the heck is a trade package for Jeremy Grant and kind of figure out where things go from there because we cannot continue to have Kelly Olenek somehow be our second best player without being on the floor. Stewart won't definitely be in the league, eh? I'll tell you right now, Stewart won't be in the league in five years. Not even so, three. I mean, <laughs> dang. He won't be in the league. He has no NBA skill. He has no NBA skill. And that's the sad part. So, Chris, how about you, man? When it comes to Cade specifically and the skill set that he's shown off so far this season, like, do you think that he has the capability of being a franchise guy? And if you if he doesn't, I know that you're a big fan of Jabari Smith from what you said earlier, so maybe that would be a guy you lean with. But even with guys like Chet Holmgren and, and Paulo Bancaro in the conversation, like, if you don't think he's a franchise guy, cornerstone type of guy do you think somebody within that top three or even within this draft class in general has that kind of capability to be that guy for the business yeah i definitely feel like uh cunningham has franchise cornerstone written on all over him um i i disagree with robs in the sense that number one and he he alluded it alluded to it as well there there isn't a worst offensive team in terms of a collection of offensive talent in the league, I believe. Like, Cunningham is playing with the the low of the lows. Even in OKC, they have a bit more. And it's a bit, but it's a bit more. Like, when we're talking about, you know, you're running with Corey Joseph and, and Killian Hayes. You know, they had Trey Lyles for a long time. Kelly Olynyk. Like, these are all, you know, I've already said what I had to say about Isaiah Stewart. So these are all players that aren't really worth anything in the long run. Like, Corey Joseph, come on, you know? And that's his starting shooting guard. So I I feel like what I've seen from him, um, being able to be that big guard, my only question about Cunningham was, does he have enough athleticism 
to you know really to really show out at that position. Um, but where he misses out in athleticism, he has it in strength. So I'm okay with it because his playing style, he gets into your body, he absorbs the contact, and he can finish over bigger players. And he is a bigger player in, in, in himself as well. So I think he will be a cornerstone. Right now, as you said, the numbers are the numbers. Like He's been playing better, 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 better onwards as he went on throughout. And the talent has just been as bad throughout. So I feel like he's good. In terms of the draft, I've heard, Jabari Smith is who I believe is the best player in the draft. Um, what we're seeing from Boncaro, it's number one, he's, you know, a power forward who plays center for them sometimes, even though Williams on Duke is really good, but, and he play makes, that's the biggest thing he play makes. So, you know, to me, I feel like they need a Jabari Smith just because he's just that dead eye can play a whole bunch of defensive, you know, you can play, you know, he can guard guards, he can guard up bigger. He's a big kid in himself. Like, the, the defensive aspect of him and the fact that that jump shot is butter and, you know, getting a guard to give him those looks where he didn't have that Auburn, those two guards he was playing at, good Lord. You know, so it's like... No, about to say nope. Give him a guard that he can actually play with and that can feed him and get him into some looks that will be beneficial for himself as well. I think that will be great. I don't think that they need Chet. I'm not a Chet hater at all. It's just that, you know, I don't feel like... I feel like a lot of the things that Chet can do, just go get Mitchell Robinson and use that pick on another part of it where it's going to be better for you. Because, you know, as I said, all I feel like um, Cade needs is a player that can rim run and block shots at the rim. That's that's honestly all I would want out of a big for, for Chet. But I feel like he needs that wing. I feel like he needs that that help on the perimeter, and Jabari Smith will be that help for him. It will be a match made in heaven, just like how it would be for my guy Tyrese Halliburton. Put it this way: wherever Smith goes, I go. That's that's how it is right now. <laughs> Literally. Oh man, I think so. I think one thing that might be contrary to like most people's opinions that I is I think that based on the way the Pistons are set up right now, that with the way the top five and even like the top six or seven is set up. I actually don't think that the Pistons can go wrong with any direction they end up in with this current draft class. If you talk about Chet Holmgren, I agree with you to a certain extent that getting Mitchell Robinson from a defensive aspect gives you a lot of different things that I think Holmgren also provides. So being able to do it in the form of just grabbing Mitchell Robinson is probably easier than using a top potential pick on it. But I also think there's certain things offensively that Holmgren provides that Mitchell Robinson does it that can be intriguing. I think if you look at guys like Jabari Smith and EJ, even AJ Griffin, for example, that ability to be like a dead eye shooter at the wing position and be able to play the three and the four, I think is unique enough for this team that clearly needs versatility. You said it beforehand. Corey Joseph at the two is not the move. <laughs> They're not holding on to Jeremy Grant at the three. He plays the three and the four for them t- their team. And the only wing in general, right, whether you're the three or the four, that I feel like is even safe is Sadiq Bey. He's the only one that I feel like is like, quote-unquote, untouchable for Detroit in the first place. You keep going down, Paolo Bancaro, I think he can play the three and the four and the four as a guy who can ball handle, create his own shot. And basically, when he plays unconscious, he's actually like one of the better basketball players in the country, despite the fact he's not in the Naismith, you know, player of the year award conversation and stuff like that in college. But I genuinely just think that when that dude plays with no conscience, 
there's nobody fooling with him in college basketball for the most part. Um, and then you even look at other guys, Jaden Ivey and Ben Matherin from Arizona. We we just harped on this. I'll, I'll just repeat myself for the sake of saying it. Corey Joseph is a starting two guard. <laughs> I think it, you it, can't go in wrong. This regard, man. This is, you know <laughs> what I mean? This is one of those situations where they I think have, if you they look have at nothing. that. You can't go wrong. Like, you, you can't go wrong. I think Ben Matherin is an interesting setup. I think Johnny Davis is fine. Jaden Ivey is fine. Keegan is fine. The The wild card for me is if Detroit somehow ends up being that team that takes the swing on Shaden Sharp. That's the only thing I think that Detroit can actually do wrong. And I, there's no beef with Shaden Sharp, particularly, actually. I think that a team like OKC or Orlando – by all means, I think is a team that's in a lot more of a, a a lot more in the swing swing for the fences kind of uh situation with their current rosters. Um, I think Detroit, yes, you you have a blank canvas to work with. I, I'm not arguing against that, but there does come a certain level of 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 faith you have to go into this draft class specifically with if you're Detroit, and I don't think that going on a complete unknown is a very smart move for Detroit, despite the fact that Shaden Sharp's upside from everything we saw in high school is legitimate. 6'6", 200 pounds, and can jump out the gym and do a lot. I think there's a lot of things that can't go wrong. It also sounds like me describing every Thunder player that's been drafted in the last three years. So I feel like I'm going to just kind of hand them to the Thunder and hope they make that play. But um, that yeah, just that all to say that like, I think Detroit, for the most part, kind of can't go wrong in a draft class like this. And I think that's what makes things even more intriguing for, for them, considering they do have a guy like Cade Cunningham, where we said in college when he played at OK State, if you get competent players around him, he's gonna be he's gonna be a, a really special guy. Mm-hmm. Well, just like at OK State, I would argue we we haven't really seen real competency around Cade just yet, and so we need to kind of really fill that out first, and then I think the rest will come. Um, the last thing we're gonna talk about is Orlando, and this is one of those I. <laughs> I'm going to actually leave this conversation strictly to you guys. I'm not going to give a whole lot of thoughts on this, mainly because I know you probably have a little bit more to say, knowing I would say from you guys' perspective, you guys dodged a bullet as Toronto fans if you're looking at Jalen Suggs. I think we'll, we'll, t- we'll talk about that as we go throughout this conversation. But the way I frame this is it's been a tough season for Jalen Suggs throughout this year, but Orlando did hit on getting Frost Wagner, who I, I would argue de- deserves to be in the rookie of the year conversation. He's like quietly been in discussions, but I don't think he's been discussed amongst that top three, the way he probably deserves to. Mm -hmm. And it probably just has a lot more to do with the fact that the other two players in the conversation are on teams that are currently in the playoff picture in the Eastern conference. Outside of that though, I would also say that despite Jalen Suggs, maybe not playing relatively well and not translating relatively well early on. The two things I would say is a, it tends to take, guards the longest time to transition to NBA basketball despite the fact that they have the ball in their hands the most there's also a lot more talent at the guard position than any other position currently in basketball the second thing would be for Orlando specifically their backcourt crowded as I don't know what and actually for like no reason um because to me I think Wagner's safe I think Chumo Okeke is safe I know Jonathan Isaac's been injured but I really like him and I like Wendell Carter Jr. as well. But their backcourt, they got Suggs, Cole Anthony, RJ Hampton, Markel Fultz, 
and I still feel like no answers at all, right? Like all the guards in the world, but no real answer to the test. My question to you guys would be like, you're allowed to use your Toronto bias if you'd like to when, when talking about Suggs specifically. I actually would enjoy that. But like, who do you think of this group actually has the best chance of emerging as the point guard of the future for this team? Because they have to pick a direction. I feel like when you look at guys like Chuma, Jonathan, Wagner, Wendell Carter, like they have the wing depth and the front court depth for like a really solid offensive team and an even better defensive team. I think they can be like a legitimately dangerous, rangy, lengthy defensive team. But offensively, they're going to be height until they get like a real run-of-the-mill point guard that can really control all of this. As of right now, (laughs) it looks like it has to be one of these guys, right? I feel like that it, it has to be. But who do you guys think it would be? Rob, I'll start with you. Like, who do you even think that would be? Because I don't think they're getting a guard in this draft. I think they're going to get one of the top three guys, and they all play wing. And we've seen that story before with them just having wings out the wazoo and no guard play. So I'll be honest. This is a prime example of when you're running an organization and you don't have a plan. This is exactly what happens. You start accumulating guys yeah. for the sake of getting guys, and then when they all come together and it doesn't gel, you look at this. You look at yourself in the mirror and say, "What went wrong? What went wrong is we didn't have a game plan to begin with." You picked up Marco Fultz at the time. Marco Fultz was probably at his lowest, and you picked him up for for next to nothing. I I understand. You drafted Suns. You got Cole and Anthony. Gary Harris is washed. Terrence Ross is what is he still doing on the roster? Like there's just Great so point. many players that you can point to, and this, their story doesn't match with the 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 direction of the team, right? And mm. Like even 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 signing Wendell and then having Mo Bamba play like that that's not a tandem that's gonna bring you championship basketball. What are we doing, right? Like what are we doing? Who's in the, who's making these decisions and saying green lining them? So my when I look at this team and I'm like, okay, you're not gonna get a guard this year in, in at least in the top end of the draft. Cole Anthony has shown promise, but showing promise at the point guard position doesn't mean much when we're talking about some of the best players in the league at that position, right? Mm-hmm. Gary Harris is washed. Suggs looks like he's not the guy that he once or we once thought he was. And yeah, France Wagner had a great season. To sum it up, you're doomed. <laughs> There's no good outcome for you. Oh you're going to have to reset it again. <laughs> and this is the problem. It's when you rush something and you don't have a plan, you have to reset and start fresh. Because there's nobody on this team right now that even looks to project to be an Austin. And that's a problem. I can't point to a player in the team and say, you know what? You know when that third, fourth, fifth year breaks out, you might be able to, you know, be in an all-star conversation. I might see him taking this. There's nobody on this list, on that roster that's taking that type of lead. So what are we talking about? What, okay, what, so so let me ask you this, because I this, this is probably the best way to get uh, the right answer moving forward in terms of where we're going to go about this. So what are your thoughts on Jonathan, Jonathan Isaac? I'm extremely biased, but I want to get your. Th- I want to get your. So, so Ross, what are your thoughts? I, I see you shaking your head, Chris. We'll talk in a second. But Ross, what are your thoughts on Jonathan Isaac in general? I think Jonathan Isaac is starting to slowly fall into that Christos Porzingis conversation in the sense of like what we, what he can be, and what he has been, what people view his potential as being. And what the sample size projects. 
I, of course, as if it hasn't been already kind of illustrated by my continuing to bring him up, am a guy who who looks more towards his upside. This is a guy who the last time we saw him on the floor, I thought he was top five in terms of being in the defensive player of the year conversation. I thought he has the like the that kind of versatility. I think he's a guy who overall I think you can build a defensive oriented roster around. And if you're gonna be an Orlando team that seems to be trying to build around having length on your squad with guys like Fraz Wagner, Wendell Carter, and so on and so forth. That's a good anchor inside and on the wing to have. Now, obviously, his injuries have made it very hard to stay on this struggle bus. And that's why I ask you, like, what are your thoughts on him based on what you've seen? Because if you already are off on him, I don't know if him coming back makes you feel any better or actually any worse about this Orlando Magic team moving forward. So, Roz, I want to get your thoughts on Jonathan. Here's the thing. When Jonathan Isaac is at his best, and I truly believe he's in the conversation for defensive player of the year. I truly believe that. But his offense still need still needed to catch up with his defense, right? Yeah. So he's more so in the vein of a very, very high end complimentary player than he would be like a a top three player on a championship team. He's a complimentary mm-hmm. player. But even with all that said, I haven't seen him play basketball. He hasn't played Fair basketball. Point. He's played more than 35 games or more than 40 games once. He's never averaged more than 30 minutes a game. Ever. So my thing is, that what am I waiting for? I'm waiting for you to come back and maybe be 75% of what you were. Maybe. I can't take that risk. And if Orlando sits down there and waits for Jonathan Isaac to come back and thinks that he's going to be the difference maker in terms of their trajectory, they're fooling themselves. Jonathan Isaac is dead food. I'm sorry to say it. I'm putting it out. He's dead food. You need to realize when something's over and move forward. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. He's dead food. And I want someone to argue me and tell me that he's not dead food because you have nothing to show. Even when he was there, he had injury problems. Right? He's dead food. And it's, it's so sad. But this is one of the situations where I keep saying again, you need to have a plan. Right? I don't think that they're waiting for him to come back. Not ruling that possibility out, though. But if they are, they're sadly mistaken. But he is dead food. He is dead food. Because even if he comes back at 80%, that is not a great player. I'm telling you right now, it doesn't matter how much defensive prowess he has. It doesn't matter how impactful he is. There's only so much you can do when your offense isn't up to par. And he didn't have horrible offensive numbers. What was he shooting? just slightly below league average. And yeah, the last season he shot 47% from the field, but again, 10 shots a game. So like, it's not really high volume, but your offense has to catch up before you, I can label you a great player. And even then, like, the injuries are just not spelling anything good in my book. So yeah, I'm just going to say it like that. He's dead for you. If you could argue so, and tell me differently, then feel free. Oh no, I, I, I actually, I want to hear, I want to hear Chris's point on this, not only just because he was shaking his head earlier, but I want to get his thoughts on Orlando in general moving forward, but Jonathan Isaac included, because I do think, I mean, I think that's an important thing to focus on is there, there is a whole lot of optimism around the organization that if you put Frost Wagner with his length or next to a guy like Jonathan Isaac, and you look at this team currently constructed to them, the idea was that they needed to, they, they need to get their guard situation figured out because outside of that, they have some quote-unquote, surefire upside guys around the guard position, but without the guard position being solidified, you can only go so far. It sounds like from the perspective of you guys, 
that they have a lot more work to do than just the backcourt in general in terms of finding legitimate talent. That's where I wanted to pass it to Chris to get his thoughts, not just on Jonathan, but in terms of this team with the team that they have and the backcourt situation that they have too. Yeah, for me, uh, Jonathan Isaac, and I can just go on go on him first cause real quickly. He's a myth, right? He's an urban legend, a campfire, a fairy tale. You know, he that you know synonyms like that is what that that is what you know this guy is. When we talk about synonyms, that's that's the vein. So I don't really want to speak about you know. We're just a basketball podcast, so we have to be, we have to talk about basketball players, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, the guy doesn't play basketball, so yeah. Uh, moving on to the players, um, yeah. The reason why Orlando, the first thing Orlando has to do, and I don't know how you change the culture, and I think that for certain instances, culture is a thing, like it's a real thing. Orlando has been losers for so long, right? It's all it almost feels like. You know, they, like, is Suggs really shit, or is he just on Orlando? You see what I'm saying? Like, it's that, like, that. The Sacramento theory. Exactly. And I feel like that's what's happening over there now, to where it's Mm -hmm. like, I don't know what, what, Orlando has been bad since Howard left. I I actually can't remember. Like, yeah, they had a couple, like, first-round exits where they got swept. But, like, because you had such a short stay, we don't really remember and it's been so long since you've been in the playoffs and you've always been bad and been horrible draft picks over and over again. And it's just like, you know, like, so that's the first thing. The second thing, when you speak about their backcourt, I want to take a victory lap on Jalen Suggs. And Robs doesn't deserve the victory lap. And a lot of us in Toronto don't deserve the victory lap about Jalen Suggs. Because a lot of us, I have friends, some of my boys, when we drafted Scotty ba- Scotty, ba- Scotty Barnes, they said that they're not Raptor fans anymore. You see what I'm saying? I got people like that. I know people that have said, "Yo, forget about doing evaluations. Just take the, the just take the last of the top four consensus." J- Jalen Suggs is a top four consensus pick. We can't waste this. We don't know when we're going to be back. So just take the, the Jalen Suggs is the last one. Please just take him. Right. I was one of the only ones that can I, I know what that were saying, no, you don't do that. You know what I'm saying? Number one, I said Scotty Barnes was better before, like before everything, right? But the reason why is because I was asking folks and I was saying, can someone please tell me what Jalen Suggs is good at? What is his plus skill? When you when you when you go down the list and you say you really narrow it down. this this player, these are his plus and these are the negatives. There's no reason why the number one thing is your intangibles. I'm good. I'm good. I do not need this. This man is not about to date my daughter. This man is not applying to be a politician. You know what I'm saying? He's not running Sunday service. You see what I'm saying? So if the first thing on your checklist is his intangibles and how great of a guy and how great of a leader he is, I'm sorry, I'm good. I'm good. And that was the issue that I was having with him. He had no plus trait. Yeah, he could play some defense, but I didn't hear that he was some type of lockdown defender that we haven't seen in college basketball before. Mm. In the vein of like a Tyrese, not Tyrese, what's my guy? Thibault. Thibault, when he was on, when he was on uh, over at Washington, I believe, I heard mm. that he was this crazy defender. Generational. 
you know what I'm saying? Like, that we haven't seen in so long. I didn't hear that about Jalen Suggs. He can't shoot. I was hearing that, you know, he doesn't he doesn't necessarily shoot the three well. But at the same time, he's not a plus athletic player. Like, his athleticism leaves some to be desired. What are we talking about? <laughs> what are we talking about? So the plus is that he was a, he was a great guy on a Gonzaga team that went to the national championship and lost. Okay. <laughs> so for me, that's why I was out on Suggs. Like it, for me, it's like, it definitely wasn't going to be Suggs. It was either mm-hmm. Scotty Barnes or Kaminga, which Kaminga has shown to be played, ha- has shown to play okay. good basketball, but I hitched my wagon to, to Scotty Barnes early. So that was my victory lap. Going back to what Orlando should do. This is a team where, as you say, I think they are also a blank canvas to the sense that even if they fall to four and it's Jaden Ivey is a selection, you take Jaden Ivey. Why? Because the guards on your team have, haven't shown you to do anything anyways, right? So, like, and it's the same thing. I remember Cleveland was in this exact position. Do you take Darius Garland when you already have Colin Sexton? Yes, you do, if you mm-hmm. think... Darius Garland is a better player. And they were wasting time, Darius Garland's time initially, playing him beside that man. Now, w- look what happened. I'm sorry, Colin Sexton goes out for injury. I hope you get better. But this is no longer your team when you return. You're a bench player when you come back. Right? And that's exactly what may have to happen in Orlando. I'm sorry, Mr. Cole Anthony. You averaged near 20 points that year. If Ivy is better, go to the bench. Suggs, are you really shit? Okay, you don't play. <laughs> like it's just that simple. There's no need to force it. So to me, it's like they, if, whoever it is, whoever the top player is at that time when they're wherever their pick is, if mm-hmm. you can go number one, Mazari, you're you're Jabari Smith is a player. If you're number <laughs> one, but if you're anywhere else, top whoever is top of your board, and isn't Orlando the team that leaked their their draft board? That one I year. think so. Yeah, I think I did. I think I do remember seeing that. Yeah, it was. That, hopefully, hopefully they'll break off of doing that. Yeah, hopefully, uh, yeah they need to chill. It, it just plays into the fact that the culture has to change. It, it's all culture. I don't right. know what they're doing, but whoever is top of their board, that's who they need to. That's who they need to select, and they don't have to worry about. Well, we already have this player on our team. Forget that. Just pick best that you can see. But yeah, to sum it all up. Isaac isn't a basketball player until he proves to me that he can get back on the court. I am not even going to entertain him. Um, Suggs, he's validating everything I saw in him. And then when it comes to the draft, you just take the best player and then you put them all in a room and whoever proves to be the best plays. If, you, if, if, if you're not the best, there's no reason why I'm forcing minutes into a player. Right. Mm-hmm. I understand that a lot of these players you drafted or, you know, you have high hopes for. But if the hopes aren't panning out and somebody else is, then just let it let it be. Leave it alone or trade them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly, Franz Wagner. I disagree with Robs. I feel like he can be an all star one year. I'm not going to say that he's going to be like a premier. Pre- I can never say that word, but, you know, multi time all star. I'm not going to say that. But what I will say is. He's been a top five rookie in a very good rookie class that we've seen mm. this year. And I do have high hopes for him. I feel like, you know, 
he's athletic in the sense that he'll sneakily put it on your head. Like, he'll dunk on right. you. You know what I'm saying? He can shoot. He can handle the ball. He can play a little bit of defense as well. And he's tough. And he's smart. Like, so, you know, they they may have missed on Suggs, but they got one in France. So, you know, if you can get one this year as well, you know, maybe you can start seeing something and then hopefully you package all of your coulda bins and get something back in return for them. Get like one, you know, give out 25 cents and maybe get like three quarters and maybe get a dollar back. Hopefully, you know, hopefully. But I would, I'm not going to say that they're completely doomed, but a lot of things do have to go in their way to try and get back to relevancy. I definitely agree with that last point about the idea that there's going to be a lot that needs to break their way. And I do agree. Again, I think another big point that you brought up was the Jaden Ivey thing. Like, if it really does come down to Jaden Ivey is the best player on the board right now, are you really going to pass on him for a guy like Keegan, for a guy like AJ? Um, or do you even reach lower? I mean, I mean, I, I doubt you do, right, from a talent perspective. If it's Keegan, AJ, or Jaden Ivey, I think you go with Jaden Ivey. I don't think you reach for the second or third best shooting guard slash point guard on the board just to try to prove a point. That doesn't make any sense. So I do think that when it comes to this Orlando team, if Jaden Ivey is on the board, those other top three guys in discussion are gone. You're sitting at four and that, and Jaden Ivey's on the board. I do think the smart move is to go with Jaden. And like you said, I think a lot of teams are are scared to do this, but I think the best franchises are the ones that choose to do this, and it's what you said is to put these guys all in a room, essentially, or I guess on the court, basically, right? Uh-huh. And whoever's better wins the spot. It's <laughs> as simple as that. It's not about commitment based on what draft pick we put into you or what general manager hitched their wagon to you. It's about who's going to produce. And believe it or not, I think Jaden Ivey's a guy that I think honestly could step in for Orlando and instantly create an identity for them. Plays with a lot of play. He plays with a lot of pace. He has the hyper athleticism that I think they've been lacking at the guard position with every single guy they've grabbed, including Markel Fultz, for example, too, who they picked up kind of like for a pennies on the dollar. Like you, you guys were talking earlier. I think he gives them a certain level of pace. I think he still gives them the kind of length they're looking for. And he gives them the size that they lack, which is one of the things that was discussed about Cleveland at the time, right, was can you have two small guards next to each other? Well, I think inadvertently it was proven no, right? When it was Darius Garland and Ricky Rubio, things oddly worked a little bit better than they did when putting him next to Colin Sexton. Now, having Colin Sexton there didn't hurt them, but having a better player like Darius Garland leading the ship as opposed to Colin made all the difference. And sometimes it is just going to take creating that uh, quarterback controversy, so to speak, right in the basketball locker room of putting the guys in the table around it, uh, at a table and saying, which one of you guys are going to be better? I know who we got, but this is who we're getting. So wh- what are you guys going to do about it? That's going to be really interesting. In terms of setting a culture, I also think that's a big point too. So guys, what we like to do at the end of every podcast and uh, for, audience, for, for the audience, we're going to do this as a two-parter. Um, whether we have All Hustle No Luck back on the podcast for the second part or we do it with somebody else or on our own, we are definitely going to do a second part focusing on the Western Conference. Um, this is just also almost two hours long, so we want to give you guys a chance to soak all of this information sure. in. But um, what we like to do at the end of any podcast is, of course, give the floor to the guys that come on or the gals that come on to kind of plug their stuff in terms of anything that's coming up, anything they're doing individually, 
at the moment and just any like final words um in relation to the topic uh that we're discussing today if they have any so uh robs i'll start with you do you have anything that you'd like to leave the podcast on yeah so i'll just say generally like the eastern conference has come a long way i know we talked about the scrubs of the conference but in years past you, you could argue you debated the whole the whole conference outside of maybe three teams is trash so i feel like we're coming a long way we have a lot more talent in the conference and yeah some of these bottom teams they may not necessarily have a direct path to getting better but they're still interesting to watch and i know that may not be the case for non-basketball fans but i'll still watch a couple of knicks games i'll watch some orlando i'll watch a detroit game here and there like i'm not scared to watch these guys just because they don't have star-studded talent it's still basketball um so, yeah, Eastern Conference has come a long way. Aside from that, um, I guess I'll just say for a pod, like we're available on all stream platforms 8 a.m. every Monday morning. We're doing some big things. Obviously, we worked with you guys before. We've also worked with a couple other podcasts. Recently, just had one of our interviews um, used in, I guess what you would, this is equivalent to their ESPN, no, Chris? Chris yeah, Preston? Yeah, it, it wasn't a special. Yeah, so they used part of our, our interview in what would be the equivalence of an ESPN segment um, in America on what we have. We call it Sportsnet here, but um, same thing, basically. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, so that was pretty big. That was pretty big. Yeah, it was, it was the leading scorer in um, the interviews with the leading scorer in our in our uh, college basketball program uh, mm. across the nation. So, yeah, we're doing big things, a lot of great things, a lot of good talk. Obviously, we're not shy. We'll get at each other's still, but with respect for the other people's podcasts, we're not making sure, you know going at each other, no profanities, anything like that. But yeah, it's a good, it's a good, good, listen, it's good clip. Um, <laughs> also, no luck. We don't go as hard normally. We usually go a little bit harder, you know, but you know, it's clean up when we have guests. So, or when we are guests, I should say. So yeah, um, I'm excited. I'm excited. Hopefully you get to do the part two, but I'm excited. Definitely. Chris, how about you? Anything else you want to leave the podcast on? Uh, yeah. So as I was saying uh, earlier, first and foremost, you know, appreciate it um, being able to come through. Um, and, you know, have, have, have an episode with you guys. Um, secondly, you know, as Rob says that we were mostly speaking about the bottom, but, you know, sometimes you do have to highlight them because these, you know, some teams stay here, but, you know, Cavs were here a couple of years ago and now, you know, exactly. in the playoffs, right? So it, people can free themselves out of purgatory. So it was definitely a good... Uh, a good experience with speaking about uh, these people on the bottom. And then lastly, uh, just going back over, pivoting back over to our podcast as well, All Hustle No Luck, as, as uh, Rob says, normally it's it's the three of us. Um, and you guys got a taste of, like, you know, the animation that, you know, especially I have on a, yes. on a, on a day-to-day basis on some of these podcasts. And I promise you, like, it's it's far worse if you, <laughs> on ours, you know what I'm saying? So, um, as, as you said, like you come outside and you gotta, you, you know, you gotta act a certain way outdoors in the public. Um, uh, but when you're at home, you know, that's when you can really, really, uh, you know, spread your wings. So, um, yeah, definitely. It was a very fun, fun experience. And, um, you know, yeah, again, appreciate you. Thank you. Most definitely. So we're going to um, link in the description for all of the uh, content that they have. Probably link like the most recent episode they have. If you guys have that Sportsnet link for that in terms of like that being featured, swing that over too. We'll drop that down there. Uh, links to the podcast, of course, will be included. These guys really are the, these guys really are the real deal. We weren't um, we we were listening to them before we hopped on the pod with them as uh, as guests for them. 
and they they're a real show they definitely did help hold it back i'm telling y'all as people who have been guests on their podcast they did hold it back they watered it down a little bit for y'all to come to the hoop talk and kind of just give you guys a sliver but if you guys really want to experience what the all hustle no luck podcast is like definitely give them a listen with that being uh said the question of the day for you guys is this one of the of the five teams that we discussed in the eastern conference Kind of going off of what Chris left us off with, which team do you think with what they have on the roster currently and what they have moving forward in terms of draft picks and assets, do you think is most likely to be able to pull themselves out of purgatory and maybe even be a playoff or play-in team next season? Drop that in the comments down below or hit us up on Instagram. With that being the case, appreciate you guys, and we will catch you on the next episode. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe. Peace out, y'all.